Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Thank you. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Michael. And um, welcome to the newcomers. I was a newcomer in this meeting, um, and I see a couple of my fellow newcomers who are still here tonight. I remember having two weeks, three weeks, just being desperate to get 30 days and then 60 days, and I think at this meeting we do under 90 days at Announce Yourself, yeah. So that was a huge milestone for me when I made it to 90 days. Um, I didn't think I would ever make it, and I definitely didn't think I would make it for three and a half years. Um, I came into the program three and a half years ago. Um, after literally 30 years of drinking and drugging, um, I just, I couldn't, my body couldn't take it anymore. Um, I was 44 when I came in, don't do the math, and, um, you know, I started out, um, at a very young age using drugs and alcohol, and I, I, I believe that I was, well, I grew up in New York, and I had a lot of advantages. I went to private schools, um, and a couple things about me that set me apart were that I was adopted, and I found out I was adopted when I was five. And um, I say that because um, I've identified with a lot of people in this program because of that. It made me feel like an outsider from, from a young age. Um, and the other thing that sort of set me apart, I felt, was that um, I was raised agnostic. So, um, like, all my, all my little friends in the schoolyard were Jewish or Christian, and, you know, I didn't know what I was. So it's like, that was what I was told to tell people. I don't know what I am. I'm trying to figure it out. So, um, you know, that, it didn't go over too well um, when you're five, six, seven, eight years old. But um, anyway, it definitely helped me when I came into the program because I wasn't someone who struggled with the God concept. I was desperate uh, for something. Um, my story is really, like, about searching for belonging. I feel like I used drugs and alcohol from a really young age to sort of um, be the popular kid, to gather people around me, and immediately have friends wherever I went. I was always in trouble. By the time I graduated from high school, um, I think I've been to six or seven schools. I was expelled, like, literally every year, um, always for, like, drinking or alcohol. So... Those of you that are shaking your heads, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I landed in San Francisco in 1991, and by 1994, you know, I had discovered speed, and, you know, like, I just lost everything to drugs. And um, whereas I had been in school and working, um, you know, I was, I ended up literally on the streets in San Francisco. Um, but I still did not put two and two together that I had a problem with drugs or alcohol. Like, I re- literally thought that this was all part of the adventure. Like, I, this, was, this is what it meant to be free and to do what I want, wanted every day. Um, there was overdoses. There was jail. There was uh, a lot of violence. Um, a lot of really messed up things happened to me. But I never... It was, it was not enough to put me in the bottom at my bottom and say, um, you know, I need help 
because I have a drug problem. Um, eventually, something bad enough did happen where uh, my parents sort of did what for them would be considered an intervention, and I ended up in a rehab in Los Angeles, and that's where I, I was introduced to the 12 Steps and AA in 1997 or thereabouts, um, and I stayed sober for about 30 days. So as soon as I got out, I was back on the street to San Francisco, and I was literally such a mess that I couldn't even hustle on Paul Street. I, you know, I, had, I couldn't do anything. Um, you know, eventually, uh, around 2000, I became very sick, and that's what got me off drugs and off the streets. Um, so I had to stop doing drugs for my health in order to survive. And that's sort of when I started drinking, because I was... Uh, alcohol became like the anti-drug, and I think that's a, a lot of people's story, is that, um, you know, uh, as long as I don't do the hard drugs, I can drink, and drinking just went on and got progressively more and more and more, and same as when I was like a young kid, I always drank to oblivion every time. I never stopped. From the second I had one drink, you know, I was already thinking about the next one, and I, I really wasn't. I never stopped until I was um, passed out, either passed out, and I, and another thing is, I don't really like to admit this, but I always puked. Like, I always knew from the moment I started drinking at night that I was going to be growing up later. And um, anyway, that's just part of my lovely story, I guess. Um, um, I was, I went back to school, I did get a job and a career in nonprofit administration. And it was about four and a half years ago that uh, I was drunk at a work event. And this event um, was important for the agency, and I was really called on the carpet. And so at that time, I said, well, let me try to quit drinking. And so I quit drinking for three weeks. And I was amazed that, like, the clouds just parted, and I was seeing life in a whole new way. And I, and a little, I had a moment of clarity where I said, you know what? Uh, there's a connection between my um, sort of self-destructive behavior, my depression, my anger, um, and drinking. So it's maybe it's the alcohol. So I did go back to drinking, but when things again deteriorated to the point where I just I couldn't even make it to work, and every morning I was calling people to find out who did I have to apologize to, and just barely picking up the pieces every day, I knew what I had to do, and um, so I I did. I did um, try to try to go into a rehab, the Altabates rehab, and um, I was willing to sort of give up work to do that. Um, and I went for the appointment, and they asked me to. They said we can't take you; you have to be clean for five days. But here's an AA schedule. Uh, and so I went around the corner to Rockridge, and that was July 13th, 2013. And I remember walking into Rockridge, 3 p.m. meeting, and looking up at, at these steps. And I just felt that, like, I can do this. I, you know, I, I was going to do this. I was going to try it because I was desperate. I was desperate to um, not just be sober, but I was desperate to not be miserable, not be a miserable wretch. And just, you know, like I said, I was just picking up the pieces every day. Um, so that's how I came into the program, and um, that was three and a half years ago. By the time I left that first meeting, um, I had a sponsor and a big book. And um, it was really weird the way it happened. I mean, I, I met Eric at that first meeting. Um, we did 90 and 90 together, and we're still good friends today. And I see that as definitely a god shot in my program. Um, you know, I, I didn't have trouble sort of believing that God had, or higher power had led me to this program because I was just so spiritually empty. You know, I, I had no spiritual principles. 
to me, a spiritual principle was like die young, stay pretty, you know, or something like that. Or, you know, uh, all of those vapid sort of things we hear when we're young and we try to, we think it's cool to, to emulate. Um, I really didn't know what it was like to, um, to make amends, to be accountable, um, to do service, um, to sort of, um, you know, to pray, to meditate, um, to actually ask for guidance and to reach out and connect with other people. So, you know, over the course of three and a half years, uh, I've had several sponsors. Um, a couple of them were actually here tonight. And, um, you know, I, I'm sort of of the mindset that, um, you know, if it's not working with your sponsor, it's okay to move on. And I know a lot of people that have stayed with their sponsors and sort of drifted apart, not called them, and it becomes awkward. Um, for me, it's been easier to say, okay, you know, we did the work, let's, let's move on. Um, Currently working on my third time through the steps, and I'm on my fourth step, uh, doing a fears inventory. Uh, it's the first time I've done a sort of complete third step of resentment, fears, and a sex inventory. Um, and it's been great. I sort of drifted away from the program a few months ago because um, thanks to this program, I was able to sort of become aware that I didn't want to work in nonprofits for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I did, did this for 12, 13 years, and I felt like I sort of atoned for a lot of the things I did in my past. Um, and really in my heart, uh, by, from prayer and meditation, like I knew I wanted to do something more creative. Uh, so even though I didn't know what it was going to be, I quit my job in July 1st. And um, did some traveling, traveled around the world, went to some amazing AA meetings, um, particularly in Rome and Bangkok. And they stand out. Uh, Rome was a, a great fellowship. If you're ever there, uh, it's really cool that the meetings are in the basement of the oldest church in Rome. And, you know, like 30 of the 50 people are, are tourists. So when they say, is anyone visiting? It's like the whole room raises their hand. But, um, you know, it was great. And, um, and it really caused me to have a great time in Rome when I was alone. Anyway, during this trip, um, yeah, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I drifted away from the program when I came back. Uh, I was sort of, I need, I know I need to get back into it, so I'm currently doing 90 and 90. I'm reconnected with my new sponsor again, working the steps, and um, I guess I'll just, time is up. Okay. Um, anyway, thank you all for listening, and um, it's great to see so many friendly faces here. Thanks. Bye. Okay, I've never spoken to one of these things, but I guess all I have to do is talk. So, <laughs> uh, hi, my name is Connie. I'm the alcoholic. Really, really happy to be here, and um, I always get a little nervous before I do this thing, and I'm so glad that the room is not as full as it's been. When I used to come here, it used to be like so packed that you couldn't get a seat, so I'm kind of a little bit more intimate, which I, I really enjoy intimate meetings. Um, um, yeah, so what it was like, what happened, and what, it was, what it's like now. Um, I grew up in Oakland. I was born and raised um, 
by two young people. My mother was 13 and my father was 14. And um, in the 60s, it was, you know, the heyday of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And um, I totally grew up with that vibe. Um, my life started in a very tumultuous way right from the beginning. Um, when I was a year old, my mom was uh, taken into Senator Cruz Cottage and I was taken into foster care because at that time, uh, my parents weren't married and um, you just didn't do that in the 60s. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't okay. And um, so uh, a lot of trauma for me started in my life at that time, you know, being in foster care, being away from my mom and, um, you know, a lot of that separation anxiety, which is normal for anybody, um, really was intensified for me. Um, I came home a very scared child. I was afraid of the water. I was afraid of the outdoors. Um, I still hear bits and pieces of my story from my mom, even to this day, about how um, the woman really wanted to keep me, and she tried everything she could to not give me back to my mom. And um, and I didn't really realize that until recently. And so it's just really a blessing that I did really get to be reunited with my mother and, and my family um, after a year. And I have a sister who's um, a year younger than me who was also taken away at a much earlier age when she was only a couple of months old. And um, there was actually a, a young girl who took care of her and called her her baby. And she was only like about nine or ten. So, um, you know, it's, you know, circumstances don't make me an alcoholic. Um, the disease is, does run in families. It is a, a genetic thing. Um, it doesn't mean that I will be a, a, an alcoholic because my parents are alcoholic, but I have a very, very long line of alcoholic drug addicts in my family. And um, growing up in Oakland, everybody partied. You know, they were rowdy. They were sexually active. And, um, you know, as a kid, I was allowed to kind of be in that atmosphere. I, my parents gave me alcohol, and, you know, we, I smoked weed when I was in elementary school. And, um, you know, I, I kind of was hiding that from my best friend at first because I felt a little ashamed of it. Um, and then, you know, she passed me up way faster than that afterwards. You know, by the time we were 12, she was like... Miss Club, Club Mama, <laughs> and I was still at home, you know, uh, taking care of the kids because I was I was the oldest of um, a family of six, and we had cousins and everything, and I was the the mother one, and I was you know the responsible one, and uh, the interesting thing is that I always thought that I was mature, and then you know when they when you when I realized that um, my emotional maturity stopped when I started drinking, I realized that was a pretty early age. <laughs> so uh, when you talk about emotional maturity and when you come into the program, um, you know, I, I had a lot of emotional bottoms. And it was an emotional bottom that actually brought me into the rooms. Um, I came in through the back door of Al-Anon, and um, I was just really suicidal and wanting to die when I came in. And um, my aunt, who's in the program, she's got about 28 years, um, took me to my first Al-Anon meeting. 
And she knew that I was, you know, an alcoholic, but we don't diagnose each other. And, um, you know, I was just crying. I wanted to be taken to the hospital. I was miserable. Um, I had just left out of a, a, a long-term relationship with my kid's father. We were married for 15 years, um, together for 18. And, um, and there was a lot of abuse that that happened in that relationship and and I stuck it out for my kids but um, let me go back just a little bit to um, you know when I drank alcoholically as a young person um, you know I, I felt like because because my life was so demoralizing at that time I really wanted to change who I was and um, so I actually did try to go get connected spiritually and um, you know I stopped drinking and doing all kinds of drugs when I was about 15 um, I drank alcoholically you know by the time I was 12 and partied with adults like I said and was sexually active and um, and all of that made me feel really um, and, and I was sexually abused as a child as well so all of that by the time I was um, 13 kind of caught up to me and you know I just um, I wanted to recreate who I was basically and so um, getting into some eastern religion I started meditating um, I used to go to the Hare Krishna temple and jump around in there and and I was having a great time I really was um, I was I felt some kind of connection with with um, with that you know the food was really good <laughs> and um, I went in there and I kind of I kind of found a connection and um, talk about feeling different I we were kind of raised as children's witnesses as children so when I was in the classroom you know we couldn't salute the flag and we couldn't celebrate holidays I felt really, really different. So among the other things, that was another thing that made me just feel like, you know, a really sore thumb and, you know, that kind of feeling really shy and awkward in my skin and then alcohol just like, oh, I'm the life of the party. I can dance really good. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just having a blast and um, and sex is great, you know. And, um, and I just was really escaping, you know. It was just putting band-aids on a lot of um, what came to, I came to discover was the big black hole. And um, so when I was 15 and started into this Eastern religion, I had a guru, um, became a vegetarian, started running, uh, because that was part of the requirement. So I was doing really well in high school, um, running track and cross country and getting really good grades. And then um, I said, oh, I'm okay. You know, I, I changed a boyfriend and um, we start, I started drinking and smoking weed again. And, you know, the disease is very progressive. And so, you know, within a couple of years, um, you know, I felt really super lonely. I was in college and I moved out on my own. I had a studio and, and I never wanted to be at home, you know, and I was just like... Um, Finally, I started kind of hanging around with my cousins, who uh, 
just partied out on the corners and, you know, they were heavy drinkers and, you know, did all that lowrider kind of party scene thing and was never into the, the lowrider thing, but um, <laughs> I ended up meeting my kid's father through my cousin and um, I was at his brother's wedding and it was kind of like an instant fatal attraction, I'll say, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, he nearly killed me. Um, <laughs> Literally. Uh, but, uh, and there's kind of a funny story that I just kind of pieced together like the other day um, that had to do with plants. It's just like I have this really big thriving plant in my front room and, um, and it was just growing all these big branches and it was huge. And then one day it just kind of died. And I'm like, what happened? And then it just dawned on me. Um, I had had a really big fight with my kid's father, and you know he was like choking me, and you know, and it was it was horrible, and and this plant died as a result of that, you know, um, because plants are living things, and you know it's these pieces of the disease when I when I put them together, like how I became vacant for my children, you know, after I started after I left their father, um, and started drinking again alcoholically. Um, and I didn't, I never realized that I had a, a, an alcohol, that I had the disease of alcoholism. Um, I knew that I had been in compromising positions. I knew that um, my life had been crazy at times. I knew that there was a lot of demoralization when I, when I was drinking and I did things that, um, like I didn't have any control over because, you know, I was in the, I was under the, you know, I was under alcohol and drugs, and it took over, and um, and I was like, yeah, the party is on, and and afterwards, it's like, ooh, that was really disgusting, and I wish I didn't do that, <laughs> and again, it was, I wish that I could kind of hide who, hide that person, and I kind of did that again through religion. I, I started um, studying the Bible with Jehovah's Witnesses because my life was like, really cycled out of control after um, my kid's father and I met at that wedding. Within a year, I, my son was, I was pregnant with my son, and, and I had him, and, and his father was, you know, we were, I was 21, and he was, I'm 20, and he was in the beginning of his crack career. Yeah, and um, I didn't know what crack was, you know. <laughs> In fact, you know, he brought it into the house um, when we first moved in together, and he offered him some, and, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And the good news is that it didn't really do anything to me, and the bad news is that he loved it. <laughs> and he continued to do it, and then um, it caused a lot of problems, obviously. Um, one time he took a, I guess, a, a $2 bill and tried to fake it off as a 20 and the, and the drug dealers came back by our house and started shooting and um, there was bullet holes in my car and um, I was like kind of oblivious to what was going on. I, I was trying to support our family, you know, and I was like 98 pounds wet and, um, you know, trying to just uh, go to work and take care of a child and deal with this man who was stealing my money and so it was always about like 
the man that I was with, they were worse. So I could never really focus on that I had a problem. My problem, of course, was is, is definitely codependency, but then, you know, that's why I get to be the double winner, you know. And I get to work I get to work both programs and um, essentially that's what I've done through the years. Uh, I, I went into Al-Anon and, and I got introduced into AA meetings through that through Al-Anon and then there just wasn't enough meetings for me in Al-Anon and um, you know I was closing down the bars and um, I was getting into some dangerous situations and I met my second husband in the bar who was selling meth Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, so um, he actually was the one who drove me into Al-Anon. I was just nuts. I was absolutely nuts. And, um, you know, I married him. He, he got he got arrested for, you know, swinging his pistol around on the, on the bus. And, <laughs> yeah, and uh, he had some drugs on him. And, of course, I bail him out of jail. I barely could, you know pay my own bills, and here I am bailing him out of jail, you know, and um, going to see him every weekend, and, you know, well, two or three times a week, essentially, and back then, I had to get there like six o'clock in the morning, freezing cold, dead of winter, and sit on the concrete and wait so that I didn't waste my time in a long line and not get a visit. Um, Now, you just make an appointment, (laughs) but... uh, no, that wasn't the case then. I mean, I would sit for hours, literally hours, um, and, you know, there were, like, the kindest kind of company out there, and um, I was holding my own, though. Um, I don't care if I'm only five feet, you know. I know crazy. <laughs> anyway, I have a good sense of humor, and I've never, I've never really had to fight anybody except for uh, my two husbands. And, uh, <laughs> that did not go well. Um, my son was about... He wasn't even walking yet, and um, it's when we first moved in together, and uh, we were having an argument, and uh, my sisters, you know, had come by to pick me up to go go visit my aunt or something, and um, it was a stupid argument about the stroller. I was going to, like, take him in the stroller for a walk, and, and he's like, no, you're not taking the stroller, and, um, you know, he's all... <coughs> whacked out on the drugs and so he starts like bullying me around and I'm like oh no you're not going to do that to me you know and, and he's like 5'11 260 pounds or whatever and he just you know gave me a whack across the head I hit my head against the wall and then he knocked my two front teeth off and so yeah um Al-Anon for sure <laughs> So, um, good thing my sisters were there. They said, pick up your teeth. I picked them up off the floor. We went to the hospital. Um, they put them right back in. Thank goodness I still have my own two teeth there. And I can smile, and they look halfway decent. And you can't really tell too much. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I came into AA needing more meetings. I was spun out. It was like 90, it was in the morning, and um, I guess I knew. I, I must have had a directory. I had a directory, and I looked in there. I seen there was a meeting at 9 o'clock at Central Office. It was during the week. I had Mondays off, or I had split days off. Um, so I went to I went to Central Office, 
and um, I was actually going there for my my boyfriend who was who I married a month later because um, I knew he was an alcoholic. And I thought, I'll just go see what, what it's like for him. I don't know what I was thinking. Something along those lines. But when I went into the room, um, for some reason I said, I don't know if I'm alcoholic, but I really feel some relief here. I, feel, I felt connected immediately when I went in there. And um, they said, um, just keep coming back. You know, and, and I did. And they said, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And I definitely needed to stop drinking. You know, they, there's all these earmarks for an alcoholic. Like if you, I, I've never looked at the questionnaire, but I know that drinking at six o'clock in the morning is probably <laughs> one of the benchmarks. Like if you get up, you know, six o'clock in the morning and start pouring wine, that that's probably not normal drinking. You know, and then. Going from being a dedicated um, religious woman for 15 years and closing down bars is not normal drinking, you know. Um, and then it just I just went from zero to 100, like, overnight, you know. And I was in dangerous situations, uh, in bars, having, you know, men I didn't know buying me drinks and getting, you know, brownouts and throwing up all over the place and barely, like, not crashing my car and having situations that were really dangerous. And I think about, like, what my mother must have been going through, you know. And I think about my own my own kids um, and the family disease, how it trickles down. And, uh, and I was just thinking this morning how grateful I am that uh, my kids are doing so well. My son is um, 32 and my daughter's 21. And, um, you know, I they ended up taking my daughter one time to um, the hospital because she was drinking at home, you know, while I was at work with some of her friends. Um, that El Loco stuff or whatever it is. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Anyway, she was really drunk. They took her back to school because she insisted and dropped her off in the girls' bathroom, and they ended up having to take her to the to emergency. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty, you know, it's, that's just an indication that those are some early signs. And so I invited her to come to a meeting with me. And so she did. She did come to a meeting, her and her young boyfriend at that time, and and, and they slightly um, related. Um, I took them to a young people's meeting. Um, but she's, she's not come back to any meetings since then, and she's really responsible. Uh, she does still drink, um, and uh, I cannot monitor what she does as far as that. She's, she has her own journey just like I had mine. What I'm grateful for is that I get to um, model for her what falling apart looks like and what getting a solution looks like. Um, both of my kids know how rigid I was when we were Jehovah's Witnesses. And I don't regret um, teaching my, my children by my example from the Bible. Um, and I don't regret that I no longer am a part of something that closed my mind so much because I, I started off with a pretty open mind and, and, a, and a, you know, um, 
and I, and I have a big heart, so I'm not, you know, and I have an overactive mind because I'm an alcoholic, of course, and, and it tends to be very judgmental. And, and the judgment, of course, starts the hardest with myself. And so um, coming, I call myself a recovering perfectionist, and um, some days are better than others. But um, this program has really, really helped me a lot to um, – really separate myself from circumstances and and it's it has forced me to do the inside work you know um, I've hit a lot of emotional bottoms in in sobriety um, my sobriety birthday is October 13th 2005 so I have 11 years and um, you know the promises some of them came really really quickly and some of them have come really slowly. But um, one of the ones that has come slowly but has definitely come is that I feel like I have a real happiness today. And that's only really, really recent. And, um, and that's on the heels of a lot of painful work, a lot of peeling back the onion, a lot of facing my fears, a lot of, um, like, the stuff that I buried for so long that, um, I could not no longer use bearing as a coping mechanism. It all came up, you know. It came up because um, it needed to. Otherwise, I was going to go crazy, and I was going crazy, you know. And um, and just going through that process was extremely painful. And I got outside help. I, I did therapy for like nine years. You know, and it's only recently that I stopped going to therapy, and um, and I got a lot of help there. You know, I it was really nice to have a one-on-one -on -one session with somebody who's professional, who could kind of tell me where I was, and also can kind of be my cheerleader. You know, not that a sponsor doesn't do that, but a sponsor's not a professional. You know, they take us a, a sponsor's to take me through the steps of AA. A sponsor is not somebody who tells me how to run my life, you know, and um, and I will I don't do well with anybody telling me how to run my life. Um, I take suggestions pretty well because I'm a perfectionist, um, but that's where the buck stops, you know. Um, as far as like <coughs> looking for somebody to tell me how I should um, make my decisions, I believe that we come in here so that we can learn how to think for ourselves. And, um, and having a relationship with a higher power is where it begins, you know. It's, it's my will aligned with God's will is where I get freedom. And um, I've finally gotten some freedom from the obsession and the compulsive behaviors that went along with that obsessive thinking, you know. And that obsessive thinking, it happens like something will trigger in my body first, an old traumatic memory maybe, um, and my mind will just follow that. I mean, I will feel it in my body immediately, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, my mind is in a, a fucked place, I'll just say that. And, um, you know, I wasn't able to sleep like I, I was always a pretty good sleeper after 
after I stopped, I, I had some major illnesses in my 30s, and I was on a lot of medication, and, and I had to take a sleeping aid at that time. And I didn't think I was ever going to be, uh, there would be a time when I didn't have to take medications for the illnesses that I had. But they were all stress-related, and when I got out of those marriages and started working in recovery, I no longer needed those medications, you know, and... Um, I have um, I have fibromyalgia, which can be very de debilitating, and um, you know I take really good care of myself. Self care is now like on the top of my list, and um, and and I, I co secretary a double winner meeting, which is awesome because um, you know sometimes just going into Al Anon makes my skin crawl. Um, but being able to um, integrate the programs like we do has made such a big difference for me, you know. And um, I've been doing this meeting for about a, about a year and a half, and there's been some real changes for me. I mean, I've um, you know I started on the journey to to love myself, but now I actually feel like that love is. Is, has transformed into something that's flowering now. Like I feel like I'm opening up in a way that um, I can be who I am, and um, and my sponsor says that life is messy, and and I'm okay with letting it be messy for me. You know, I'm okay with not having everything be in that linear line that I've been so accustomed to living for so long that it kept me in a box, you know, and um, working this program and um, becoming a part of this community has really um, saved my ass so much. It's given me the structure that I needed. It's given me the support that I needed. It's given me a family that I can rely on. It's given me a place to go when I, when I need to be out of my head. Um, you know, I do service, a lot of service, and um, for me, the service is the thing that has given me the most freedom, you know, and it's really interesting we think about the paradoxes that we see in the program where if you want to be free, then you have to give something, you know, and, um, and I just, I have so much joy in this process of giving and showing up and, um, you know, I've, I've had that gift of desperation from the beginning, and and I'm really blessed that I still have benefited from that gift to this day. I, I love coming to meetings, and even if I don't love the meeting, I appreciate that it's there for me, you know. And I keep my ears open and my mind open and my heart open because... You know, I can start going in my head and going blah, 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 or, you know, picking this apart or picking that apart, and um, and that's okay as long as I don't share that with somebody else and, you know, start uh, taking inventory of other people, because I'm the last person who's going to be, you know, perfect, so, you know, who am I to judge anybody else? And, you know, I've really learned some really great lessons in when I've like had judgments come up and this isn't just in the rooms it's just in in, in general 
I'll see somebody like at work and uh, somebody who's coming in for an interview and I'll, and I'll think, oh, 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 whatever, you know? And then the next thing you know, that person really has opened up and shared something that has helped me to become a better person because it's helped me to kind of take away that, that part of myself which, which has a judgment before I even know. And, um, and that's kind of what happens with a lot of the, the problems that I've had in my life is that my mind will think something, tell a storyline behind it, and run off the track with it. And it's, none of it's true. And I've made myself miserable over that. And so today, it's like I feel like I have this real gift that I can witness. I can witness that happening, and I can, and I can use the tools of this program to stop the cycle, and and it's really working. So, um, if you're a newcomer, I just suggest that you latch on to somebody who has something that you want. And if you don't find anybody like that right away, go to a lot of different meetings because there's so many, and um, and you'll find your tribe. You know, you'll hear your story. You'll find somebody who will touch your heart and give you some inspiration because I know for myself when I came in here I was so broken that you know the only thing I could do at first was cry and and I felt so inadequate in everything that I did as far as trying to be in service for the first time you know try to be a sponsor for the first time um, you know secretary a meeting for the first time and and what I heard in that from other people is that this program had, had helped them to face their fears, you know. It's not that I don't have fear. I just don't have to let that fear keep me immobilized. I get to work through that fear, and I get to get to the other side. And, and I've gotten to the other side of so many bridges that I thought, like, was pretty hopeless for me, you know. There was some stuff that I thought was pretty hopeless that I really did not believe that I was going to be happy in this life, you know. I really did not believe that. And today I'm happy, you know. And today it's all about keeping things simple and what's in front of me and not worrying about anything, really, essentially, because God is in charge. And, you know, I, I not to say that I don't worry, but I, when I start to worry, I remind myself that I don't need to. And, and I get a, enough space in get in in, inside of that thought where I can let it go and, and it works, you know. And, and I'm, I have this freedom now that I believe that by letting go of all of my old kind of old ideas and all my old plans of how I thought it should look, that there is like a new lease on life for me. Like there's there's a freedom of something new that I was afraid of in the beginning. I was afraid of that unknown thing. And now I have, you know, I have a lot of joy and acceptance around, wow, actually that's the new part of the journey that I'm looking forward to. So I'm really, really grateful to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. 
Thank you very much. 